1: Hi, it's Raghu Marcus back with Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. And I've got uh, some delightful people that I want to introduce you to. And uh, uh, I think there's no doubt that uh, there's very few of you who listen to this program or listen to any of the programs or the podcast, rather, on the Be Here Now Network have not heard of Alan Watts. And I was just telling, uh, so I, I, let me uh, just welcome to Alan Watts, of course, has a number of children, but the two young ladies that I have here right now, <laughs> Anne Watts and Joan Watts, welcome to Mind Rolling. Thank you. Great to have you. And uh, so uh, what has... Uh, pique my attention uh is this wonderful book that came out recently eh? towards the end of last year the end of 2017 it's the collect yeah oh so it's really brand new yes and it's the collect (laughs) Uh uh-huh the collective letters of alan watts their father uh joan and ann put this together and when i it's, it's a large book by the way everybody uh, I mean, what, five, six hundred pages. I was a little daunted by it. And uh, and then it is got to be one of the most fascinating uh, books that, uh, of course, I love Ellen Watts. So there was a natural affinity for me to, oh, wow, this, that, and the other. I'm finding this out, that out, you know, stuff that I, I had no idea about. And I knew something because... Uh, and many of you out there m- may know this and may not know this. Uh, this being Ramdas's "Be Here Now" network, Ramdas and Alan uh, knew each other, were friends. Uh, to what degree I don't really know. Uh, I haven't actually gotten into this with Ramdas. Uh, he's writing his memoir right now, so I'm sure we're going to find out more of that. Uh, but um, I do know that uh, they were involved in psychedelic experiments in the in the '60s and. And I think that Alan was really closer to Tim Leary because I saw letters to Tim, but I didn't notice any letters to to Ramdas or Richard Alpert. So there
0: was one one letter in there uh, that was addressed to all of them, but Ramdas was included in that letter.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so there's a, a direct connection. And as I was saying to uh, to Joan and Anne before we went live here, uh, I can't. Tell I said I cannot tell you how much mail we get at the foundation where people are thanking uh, thanking us for presenting Ramdas's stuff and re- lectures and books and all that stuff. But at the same time, if it wasn't for Ramdas and be here now and Alan Watts, I don't know what I would have done. So much of that uh, came our our had, comes in on a regular basis. So there the connection between the two of them far exceeds uh, the fact that they knew each other and were friends and so on but uh let me uh let me get to yeah you know, i mean these letters have been around i mean i cannot believe how uh how much your father wrote to everyone i mean everyone and how extraordinarily uh uh detailed These letters were. I mean, they're just they're really incredible, and uh, so you've had these for a long time. I know that. What was what suddenly motivated you to put these together into this book? How did this all come about?
0: Well, it probably came about about the time I retired uh, back in two thousand fifteen. I'd run a business for over twenty years and uh, retired from that. And I've had sitting in my office since about nineteen ninety two. Two legal-sized file drawers full of his papers, everything from manuscripts to uh, letters and contracts and so on. Um, and uh, Anne and I uh, were visiting with New World Library a couple of years ago. Uh, they've been republishing some of Alan's out-of-print books, and I happened to mention to uh, Jason Gardner, the executive editor there, that. Um, mm-hmm we had letters. And he kind of perked up and said, letters? <laughs> and so he said, well, have you considered publishing them? He said, well, that would be a good idea. And he said, well, maybe we need to find an editor to go through them and so on. And I said, well, I think Anna and I can do that. And so they very courageously signed a contract with us for about 300 pages of letters. And we delivered uh, a manuscript with 600 pages. <clears throat> and, uh, he said, oh, we might have to cut some of this out. And I, we said, well, good luck. And he started to read the letters and he couldn't find any to cut out. So I think we oh. ended up taking out three letters. Really? That's, <laughs> that's the history of it. So oh, my. in a nutshell, it was a lot of work because um, uh, m- uh, most of his letters, uh, probably 95% of them were typewritten. And so we were dealing with carbon copies. And uh, the letters from his to his parents were all original copies, uh, but again, sort of fuzzy typewriter stuff. And um, he, uh, I think, at the time his parents, uh, or at at the time he was writing uh, his autobiography in my own way, which was published in 1972, uh, it's my feeling that his parents sent him all the letters that he that they had saved of his over the course of his lifetime. So that's the material we had, and um, it was a hard process. Anne and I spent a week going through every single file, every single letter, deciding which uh, would be appropriate to, to publish.
1: Mm. Wow. And, um, I mean, after reading through here, there is a lot of uh, of. Of letters that I don't know if I there was one point in the book where you went maybe this is too much information uh, on some (laughs) of this stuff and it was pretty amazing how did you deal with all that
2: well that was an interesting journey I mean um, Joan and I wrote various bits to try and fill in the gaps so that people could really understand what was going on and um, and it was, an em- it was an emotional journey for us, you know, to go-, to go through all this. And I think the letters that he wrote to Jano were the ones where we felt the most too much information. Um, those were very deeply intimate letters. and, um, and he wrote a lot of them uh, because they were separated uh, by distance, a fair amount of time at the beginning of their relationship. And so, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, other than that, it felt like the story that needed to be told in terms of a full picture of who Alan was as a as a real human being.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, I mean, immediately uh, just stood out very early in, in the book, and I, I must read this little thing, the little passage, just the fact of where he was at where his understanding at such an early age i mean february this letter is uh, from england uh to mr sokeon sasaki right his one right. of his first mentor uh in 1932 what what age would he have been he was right?
2: 17
1: okay so this is <laughs> a 17 year old everybody out there okay it's amazing <laughs> From what you say there, and from what I have read elsewhere, the essence of Zen is to regard existence universally or impersonally, or so I understand. Instead of thinking, I walk, you think there is walking, until you begin to see yourself as a part of the universe, not separate from other parts, while the I is as the whole. I have tried this. How did he do that? And he tried that. And the result <laughs> is, at 17, is that there comes a feeling of calm, of indifference to circumstance. I mean, it's really pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Extraordinary.
1: <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what were your earliest memories, I mean, as you started to grow up, of being introduced to, so you have him as, of course, the man that was your father and the man that went on many escapades over his life. But what about that inner power that he had to be able to uh, to grasp these concepts in a way and be able to uh, elucidate them? And uh, w- When did you first kind of go, oh, wait a minute, He's more than just my dad here. He's a something. When did that occur to you, both of you?
0: Well, I think uh, when I was a little girl, um, one of the things that I think he wrote about,
1: maybe
0: he didn't write about it, but in my memory, um, I had a favorite carved teak box that I loved. And I had always wanted to get inside it. And Obviously, it was a small box, so there was no way uh, I could physically do that. But he he coached me through the process of getting into the box
2: mentally.
1: Oh, we have a little something. What's that?
0: I don't know.
2: I'm just putting myself on mute. It's my phone. Sorry.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, or, yeah.
1: Maybe just uh, if you can go back a minute and just uh, repeat that, that would be great, uh, Joan.
0: When I was a little girl, I had a favorite carved teak box, and I always thought it would be thrilling to be inside that box, but obviously I was too large to do it. <laughs> and my father had this wonderful knack of being able to tell me verbally how I could imagine myself being inside it and i thought that that was an amazing quality you know i just thought wow that's so interesting
1: hmm. and how old were you then
0: oh probably Jeez. about six or seven
1: right and and you
2: um i love that story i think that's the first time i've heard that story joan
1: oh no um, okay yeah,
2: isn't that cool that's really great um I mean, uh, I definitely experienced him uh, as someone who was really in touch. I don't think I understood, though. um, I didn't really grok the brilliance and what he was contributing to the world in the bigger picture until I was in my teens. I think as a child, I was pretty... Um, I was aware of all the interesting people in our lives and the color in our lives, um, and you know, um, people from all different countries and places, and um, all of that. I was I was aware of that, but I I wasn't yet aware of um, who Alan was in terms of his contributions to to the world. Um, that came, that came much later.
1: Mm, Yeah. Um,
0: I would say that's true for me in a sense as well as as that, even though I I experienced him as an, as a unique human being, uh, his impact on the general population, uh, did not really come to me until probably I was in my mid teen years.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense too. Your dad is your dad for as long as that holds, you know.
2: (laughs) I had this experience. He, I was going to girls boarding school in England, um, and the boarding school bordered on, um, our grandparents' home. And, um, so my father came to visit me there and, um, he came to the school and, I was stunned when the teachers and the other girls in the school were all at Twitter because they thought he was so handsome. And I had never thought of my father as handsome. I was just like, what? My father? (laughs) It It was just such a surprise to me. And so interesting how, you know, sometimes we can categorize somebody in a certain way and, and we don't really see what other people see, right? Yeah. And then hearing that feedback was was just amazing to me.
1: <laughs> mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was dashing all right. You can see that in in the in the pictures and the videos for sure. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um in in early part of the book you talk about how you were amazed. I'm not sure. The interesting thing in the book is how you both have uh Dialogues going on about that particular period or things that had happened, uh, and this one is from you, Joan. Uh, you're amazed at the pros- progression of his thinking through these letters, and um, I, I find that very amazing as well. And and to s- but to see right out at the get-go at 17 years old that thing I read, I mean mm-hmm. that's just. Uh, that's pretty astounding and how that progression I mean he came in obviously with, with a very advanced um, realization of of the truth of, of reality I mean there's no doubt whether he lived it or not I mean you also say interesting I remember reading I can't remember which of you said you talked to Ramdas and uh, Ramdas said, Alan absolutely knew what quote unquote capital i t was what it was but he wasn't necessarily living capital i t and and this this seems to be a theme a little bit of a theme throughout the book but my premise is there are things that uh people do that we the society may not really uh it may not conform and obviously he did I mean, he did amazing things i mean the thing that you know, the, having um, uh, an open marriage in the, what, late 30s, early 40s, whenever it was, he decides to have an open marriage? Who would think of that? I mean, that blew my mind. You know?
2: While he was an Episcopalian priest. Yeah. <laughs> I would Even say better.
0: That, I would say that that was somewhat with uh, European influence. Um, hmm. Of course, American standards were very different than uh, Europe in terms of Uh, marital relations and so on. So I think he picked up a little bit of that from the continent, but um, it was uh, certainly the avant-garde here in the United States.
1: Yeah, way (laughs) avant-garde. And, well, in this, he was able to go from interpreting Eastern philosophy to New York society in his adroit fashion to becoming involved with the higher-ups of Christian faiths. How did you see him doing this? This this is quite a. I, I still don't get the. I get the Christian thing in some of his the way that he um, manages to manifest the similarities of all uh, mystical faiths. I get that, but to become actually a, an Episcopalian priest, right? That's what he became, right. How did did that happen? I mean, that's just, uh, that's out of, uh, you know, that's out of my reach in terms of understanding.
0: Well, I think um, once he came to the United States, uh, he was uh, needing to find a way to make a living. And um, that was complicated by uh, a number of factors. But um, he and, and our mother, Eleanor, for some reason decided to investigate all the churches around in their neighborhoods and so on. And he, uh, uh, they basically found one that they really liked, which was sort of high church Episcopal. And um, uh, he set about thinking, well, this was something he could get into and uh, make a, some sort of living at. And uh, of course, being the scholar he was, He advanced very quickly once he was sent off to seminary in Evanston, Seabury Western. And um, he kind of became a golden child in the sense that uh, his knowledge of uh, Christian doctrine was so great that um, he excelled, you know, and um, people loved it. And once he became a priest and was doing mass and so on, uh, people thronged to hear him a combination of his wonderful ability to speak and speak clearly and clarify things for people as well as his knowledge
1: yeah in fact uh, there's just a, a little something here that he talks about this and, and again this is 1943 still a very young man Um uh, He says, a lot of things have happened to me during the last five years, and it's only recently that I've been really able to see what they were. Before that, my own version of them was not the real version, for I have done a lot of things for stupid and silly motives, which by the sheer grace of God and nothing else have turned to my own advantage. For instance, I had the queerest reasons for going to the priesthood, and the moment I decided to do so, everything clicked to move me in that direction, as if it was a prearranged plan. But when I thought I was arranging the plan, it subsequently became obviously the plan was arranging me. <laughs> so I can't claim any credit at all for what has happened, having done anything but to deserve it. For there is a wisdom, and this is the I mean, you know, we were just talking about just this kind of thing in a retreat that we just did with Ram Dass mm-hmm. and others, and Jack Cornfield. Yeah. Uh, there is a wisdom which employs all the weaknesses and foolishnesses of this world for its own purposes, and people people are used by it in spite of themselves. It makes you feel such a fool, but a grateful one. So he he obviously, early on, understood that we are shown by virtue of our acts on a day-to-day basis where we can uh, transform ourselves, nice. and and he understood that obviously through through what he was saying here. Um, but in those years, what is your what is your memory of being with him during the Christian years, and was his relationship with your mother more stable at that time, and? Um, what was what was that like I mean to be with him in that environment of uh, of the church
0: well it was pretty exceptional um, he uh, he was very much into the the ritual of uh, the church and uh, even more so to the extent that he really uh, brought in more of the Catholic uh, ritual into uh, his masses and mm. he really seemed to prefer a high mass situation there would be incense vestments, and uh, Gregorian chants and so on and so forth and uh, that was all very beautiful to me uh, you know I, I thought it was lovely and um, it was very disappointing uh, years later when one day when I was at school in Ohio, I dropped into the Episcopal church one Sunday morning and was astonished to see none of that. It was very boring and very plebeian basically it was just not very much fun so i disbanded that but um yeah I, I think that that was his fascination with it was uh the liturgy the the uh whole uh going back to the beginnings basically of ritual uh in uh christianity and um just really reveling in that and, and producing it beautifully. Mm.
2: Yeah, he loved the, the Gregorian chant, uh, that kind of thing. He loved good church music. Um, there's a lot of church um, songs that are really um, whiny kinds of songs. And he was not interested in any of that. He was interested in really good music. He loved good music. And, um, and so... Whenever he, wherever he was involved, whether it was the chapel at Northwestern or whatever church he was being involved in, he made sure that the choir was bringing beautiful music to the congregation as a part of the whole picture. And, uh, and, and I love that he did that. I think that was a, a really beautiful and special thing. And it's just part of the, his whole artistic nature, which was very strong in him and, uh, and, and on all levels. And so, uh, so the, I, I felt like that was a big piece of, of how he was too. I think also he was so um, compassionate and kind and understanding to go along with his brilliance. He was just a good, as good a listener as he was a speaker. And um, mm. and I think people were very drawn to that. People felt cared for by him and seen by him. You know, he had that kind of listening that really saw into a person. And, uh, and people felt that. And I think that was also a part of his popularity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say it was interesting, too. As a child, I had the opportunity to go with him to a Greek Orthodox church and a Russian Orthodox church and uh, watch him take part in in those liturgies. He would be often asked, uh, sort of on an ecumenical basis, to be involved in other uh, faiths. Hmm.
1: You guys are pretty lucky. I wish my dad would have made church, or in my case, uh, synagogue fun, and (laughs) it sure wasn't, (laughs) although, you know, in my case, it led to a, a, a huge dissatisfaction and emptiness that led me to read Alan Watts, and yeah. find my way to the east. There That's you go. The things. so you know, <laughs> it's weird how it all works out. But I love. But during this, the his years of priesthood, and and the book is sectioned off by by virtue of uh, the different uh, life lives that he had. Uh, you know, his priesthood lives, his, his the American Academy of Asian Studies. When I guess I was out uh, started on the east, but ended up out west, and. Uh, so I like the way you've sectioned off the book because it really oh, gives a, a picture, um, yeah. a, a, you know, a very a cont- continuum that you can really follow. Uh, but th- this is one part. Uh, and it's funny because I, uh, I he talks about Krishnamurti, so he got exposed to just everybody, and, right. uh, and uh, I mean, it's just amazing the breadth of his uh, his ability to. To move in all of these different circles, literary, spiritual, and otherwise, um I mean, he, he even puts down Buddhism in a certain way. He says, "I grant you, the Dhammapada and odd bits here and there show that much of this material was written by bored monks on wet afternoons with nothing better to do." <laughs> He's really, good. I love that. <laughs> that underneath there is a core of sense. Um, but under, but what remains to us today may have been Gautama's own teachings is that may have been his own teaching is so slight that it doesn't even begin to compare with loud Tzu, the Upanishads in the Gita, uh, it's just uh, <laughs> take no prisoners kind of thing, and then he he talks about Krishna Uh he says he had a great deal on the ball and he's marvelous at spiritual cathartic but he only had one idea and then he said. <laughs> He says it's the power of life, whatever that may be, yet though he won't or can't admit it, he's talking about God. He shies away from the word. One must sympathize because that word has some very bad association uh, attached to it. Uh, I mean, I just love that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, As uh, just going forward, uh, I, I mean, we, we touched upon this and of course, this is all uh, material that I had no idea about. None of us who read Alan's works or listen to the talks and so on, uh, we were not privy to uh, to his personal life. And then you read this and you go, whoa, wow. He was, he was far out in a lot of ways, not just in his thinking. Um, but obviously, and I mentioned this before, he had that uh, unusual open marriage and that was in in a time, you know, of... uh, God, is it any, I don't know, is it worse now than it was then? Who knows? I mean, you know, <laughs> with, the, with the far right and religious more right, open
2: so, now than it was back then.
1: I <laughs> think, okay, I'll take Well, think well
2: right. I think it comes and goes. I think it's one of those things that opens up and then shuts down again and opens up and shuts. It's that cyclical thing about life and politics and religion and what's at the forefront. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people living in um, many different types of relationship uh, who connect with each other but it's not all that known in the in the bigger uh, to the bigger public yeah. right but there are a lot of people living alternative lifestyles yeah no doubt
1: no, true about it. true but for being children at that point uh, I just wonder you know how you were able to absorb this. In a way that wasn't detrimental to your development as a child, and also uh, one thing I read, no matter what he was doing and whatever affairs and so on and so forth, he seemed to really love you guys, and and he was devoted, and he 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 was right there for you. Am, am I getting the right impression? So within this, maybe you can just comment on.
0: Well, most of the time, he was right there for us.
1: Uh,
0: but no, you know, um, the first 10 years of our life, of my life anyway, and four years younger, um, he was uh around a lot because those were the the uh church years, the Christian years, and we had uh a steady home life, even though towards the end, um, it became complicated by having extramarital relationships, uh, and um. For me, uh, when I was about 10, when it was sort of the thick of all of that, it was complicated because um, I went to school. I had friends. And, of course, people started understanding what was going on at Canterbury House. And um, my friends weren't allowed to come over. I was allowed to go over to their houses, but they weren't allowed to come over to mine. So you can get kind of get the sense of that. But you know, also, for me, I think um, along the way, because of the nature of my upbringing, um, I did not develop the fierce uh, sort of one relationship type of uh, life either. you know, it, it, uh, seeing other people in, in different relationships didn't seem to affect me as much as uh, it might affect some others that were religiously, uh, bound by, uh, one partner only for life and, um, death till you part. So. Hmm.
2: All of which works well for some people and not for others. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was a fair amount younger than Joan, so I was unaware of a lot of what was going on, uh, back in those days. Um, it didn't, it, it didn't affect me in the same way. Um, However, you know, our experiences as children um, were quite different because when Joan was born uh, in 1938, our parents were right in the flush of their love for each other and their connection. And, um, and they doted on Joan, they loved her, they were just so happy to have her. And by the time I came along, um, things were beginning to fall apart between our parents. And, um, and so my mother really didn't want me and, um, and especially when I turned out to be a girl, um, she had (laughs) hoped for a boy and she didn't Mm. get that in me. And um, from the time I was an infant, she started taking out her unhappiness on me. So I had a very different experience than Joan did. And you were talking about Alan, um, how much he loved us and how present he was for us. He was and he did in in the way that um, when he was with us, he was really present and he was very playful. And, um, y- you know, like, and, and liked teaching us things in a fun way. Um, but he was gone a lot. He was gone, you know, doing whatever he was doing, whether it was when he was in the Christian ministry or, or later on in life. Um, he was writing a lot and his attention was focused on his writing or he, um, he just wasn't uh, present. You know, he, he was, uh, gone giving lectures and doing talks and stuff like that so a lot of times he wasn't available because of that and then um the other thing is it is really shows up in the letters um, he was well aware of what i was experiencing with both my mother and um and my stepmother his second wife dorothy and and how how they treated me and um and he felt badly about it, but he never became my ally. He never stood up for me, oh. and in that sense, I felt let down by him, mm. that he didn't. And um, that was that was pretty hard. Mm. But other than that, I I adored him, and I loved our time together, and um, that that has always been true.
0: Mm. I'd like to add to a little to that too, in that. Um, While my parents were very much in love when I was born, neither one of them had the experience of being around young children. They were both only children. My mother was raised by a governess and had uh, no imprint on what mothering was because her mother was not a good mother. And um, my father, of course, was uh, distracted by all his very interesting things that he was doing. Uh, Obviously, he was fascinated with my development but about the time of their divorce i was sent off to private schools and didn't see much of him and in fact uh when he was supposed to pick me up for a long weekend sometimes he wouldn't even show up and the school would have to figure out where i was going to stay um for that time period so that was hard uh to feel somewhat uh neglected and um Although when he was there, he was marvelous. He was fully mm. present,
1: and that's really, I guess, as you can tell, I have a certain impression. I obviously saw the places, and 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 certainly, Anne, I it was very pointed how the difficulty you had with uh, your stepmother. I mean, that sounded like a horror, uh, and, uh, and 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 so much of the time he was traveling, he was away. He was involved in God knows what. Uh, But I I still get through all of the pages and the letters uh, a dedication to his children in in a way that many people, uh, there's no one quite like him, one could say, but people in the arts and uh, entertainers and so on like that, they abandon. They just abandon. And it doesn't even, I I mean, myself, I I raised (laughs) two boys. And my wife did most of the raising. I was away a lot. I traveled a lot, and so I I understand that. Uh, but it does come through that uh, his love and caring, I guess, in the moment was certainly present, and yeah. and it means something because it again has to do with he espoused all of this uh, incredible spiritual knowledge and. How much of it was he living, and to me that gave some indication that he was living it, and and certainly uh, is. An, you all are an example of that up to a point. Uh, but what uh, the other thing in this book, by the way, as you can tell, everybody listening, there uh, I, there is a, a lot of information about Alan and his relation with his family, his wives. Uh, his uh, relations with many other people from Henry. I love this, the letters to Henry Miller. I mean, those are extraordinary. (laughs) Uh, So many people like that. He'd write to anybody. Uh, It's just... uh, I have to read something later on. He wrote to a restaurant where they wouldn't let him in because he wasn't wearing uh, shoes or something. You know, it was, was like
0: one of my favorite <laughs> letters. It's
1: my favorite too. <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit later, but uh, but at the same time, throughout the book, which uh, the nuggets that are in there uh, that really translate uh, a real connectivity that he had to the truth. Those are are precious, and so in in the section, uh, it's 1951 to 1957, and uh, the heading is California and the American Academy of Asian Studies, and and uh, Ramdas remembers, uh, I think, just after that, or no, during that period, he he had a radio show, right? Was it that period or just after that period? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I think it started somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, I know. I think did it not did too. KFA
0: for many years, yeah. um, And Ram- uh, it's called. It was called something like "Way Out West" or uh, "Beyond the West" or something like that.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Ramdas does remember the influence because he was at Stanford and he used to listen to Alan on Sundays. Mm. He said, "You know, so that was some." Yeah. Uh, so yeah. here's here's one of these nuggets, and it comes from a, a Time magazine published some sort of article. Uh, it's called Zen, Beat, and Square okay, in 1958. Right. It's a great yeah. For Anglo-Saxons, the main obstacle to the achievement of Zen's peace is an inability to purge themselves of the need for self-justification. Huh. This urge to prove oneself right has always jiggled the Chinese sense of the ludicrous. The Chinese, who who rated human heartedness ahead of righteousness, powerful thing right there, human heartedness ahead of righteousness, felt that one could not be right with all, without also being wrong. At the roots of Chinese life, there is a trust in the good and evil of one's own nature, which is peculiar for, peculiarly foreign to those brought up with the chronic uneasy conscience, conscience of the Hebrew Christian culture, uh, that is an incredibly incisive um, quote from him, and uh, there's so many of them in this book. So I, um, I anybody who is. A fan of Alan's work, and again, many of you that listen to uh, Be Here Now <coughs> Network, I know you are, so I can't more highly recommend. I, I don't want to be a salesman here, but still, uh, it's <laughs> it's really pretty good. Uh, the, the next section, which is then it starts to get into areas that I remember being a hippie back in the West Coast in the late 60s, which is where, you know, I became aware of Leary and Alpert. And uh, you talk about how he was involved with Leary and Alpert during their studies of psilocybin LSD at Harvard. And he was involved with their experiments with prisoners at the Concord Prison Project in Northern California. (laughs) Were you aware of of that at the time? Because then you were uh, more adults at that time.
0: I was living in the Midwest and... um, I'll never forget, uh, it was mid-60s, uh, Time Magazine came out with uh, an article about uh, Larry and uh, Alpert in uh, Harvard, and there was a photograph, and in the photograph was Alan Watts, but nobody picked that up at the time, and I breathed a big sigh of relief because I was living in the Middle West with an up-and-coming executive for a company, and all I needed was for people to know that my father was involved with experiments and lsd and psilocybin so that was kind of amusing to me that was kind of the, the first really that i knew that he was involved in that just seeing that
1: picture oh, that's funny
2: <laughs> i had some aware of it awareness of it and um you know one of the things that i really appreciate about our father was that um in, in his studies with, with them, for him, this was more like a religious experience and something that he treated very seriously and very circumspectly. And um, I think, um, unfortunately, in, in later years, people let go of uh, treating it with that kind of reverence and um, circumspect circumspection, is there such a word, um, you know, people just really um, began to get more interested in having the, the experience of being high, and whereas Alan was really a student of what was happening to him and what he was experiencing, and um, I know that there were a couple of times when he um, introduced me to LSD and, um, and how perceptive he was when we went on those journeys together. And, um, you know, it it was a very powerful and deep experience to share with him. I have one vivid memory when he came up to me and asked me where I was. And at the moment, I was experiencing being underwater in the sea. And as I was describing to him what I was experiencing, I experienced him diving in with me, and I could feel him underwater with me, experiencing exactly what I was experiencing, and that was very profound to me.
1: Wow! That's yeah, beautiful. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, name.
0: not not many people can say their fathers turned them on to LSD. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my wonderful experience in that time was uh, the first time uh, he introduced me to LSD was he played uh, for me the Gregorian chants and then he played the Beatles and I had this amazing realization that the the, the monks singing the Gregorian chants were off someplace moaning because they, they were ungratified somehow they were missing out on something in life and the Beatles I just, they were going to be the new Bach, Beethoven, etc. cetera, of, of <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> coming years.
1: <clears throat> yeah. And they did. <laughs> and they, they, did. Are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, Without a doubt. It's kind of amazing, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. But um, that was like 1968. So it was like before they actually, well, they were on their way, but it wasn't like it was
1: way out there so yeah yeah you got your father to turn you on to acid that is like <laughs> so great
2: yeah <laughs>
1: in my case by the way just as an aside here and many people know this I've talked about it before on mind rolling uh my father I was in India with Ram Dass and and my brother and my wife-to-be and we were with Neem Karoli Baba and my father decided, I'm going to come visit them. He flew from Montreal to come see us. You know, he wow. was at the time fifty odd year old uh, advertising executive, and there he is. And I'm like, oh God, how can I'm not going to be able to handle that? We we were at odds uh, as well, and. um so it's a famous story that I tell that uh, uh-huh. it's in the book Love Everyone. Actually, that we put together of all of our experiences going over there, the Westerners that did that. Mm-hmm. And he turned to me and he said, "Did you give your father the medicine?" I go, "Yeah, he had a cold. I gave him some uh, aspirin." He said, "No, no, no. The yogi medicine that Ramdas gave me." I went, "Acid, my father? <laughs> no." And my father <laughs> went, "LSD." Anyhow, he said, "Take care of your father while he's in India." Anyhow, my father took acid so i gave him some it's a little bit of a reversal here right uh, but similar and he uh he who thought he wasn't afraid to die had no (sighs) connectivity to who he truly was is uh he had this incredible journey Mm -hmm. and after that we became friends for life yeah oh that's fantastic that's a beautiful
2: story Yeah, Yeah. yeah love
1: it so uh I just got to give uh as we get closer to uh the end of our of the program but I just I just I delight in in these letters that have these nuggets in them that are just and there's so much of it I mean I this is something you could treasure for a long time enlightenment wisdom or a sense of harmony with life and the universe is present within within us all the time it becomes apparent when we cease to use the brick and he had uh, he had talked about getting hit over the head with a with right. a brick right Cease to when we uh-huh. stop knocking ourselves out on the head with a brick right uh, you know. so when we cease to use the brick just as the moon becomes visible when the clouds are blown away You know, very wonderful poetry, really. But we appreciate the light of the moon more keenly when it emerges from the clouds. If it had been shining openly all the time, we should never have experienced the sudden ecstasy of light breaking in upon darkness. And for this sudden ecstasy, we have to be thankful for the darkness as as much as for the light. I mean...
2: Yes,
0: I always felt that that was the the epitome of of a lot of what he had to teach, was uh, the difference uh, of knowing the difference between black and white. If you didn't have black, you wouldn't know what white was and vice versa. And that way, uh, pain, ecstasy, you can think of all of those dualities and how uh, if, if you didn't experience one of them, you might not understand the other.
1: Right, yeah yeah, yeah.
2: I, I wanted to mention something uh, yeah. that we didn't tell you about, but you mentioned Sokian Sasaki mm-hmm. and Alan's uh, early connection with him because Alan had heard what a great teacher he was, and there's a new book out um, mm-hmm. called Zen Odyssey uh, by Janica Anderson and Stephen Schwartz, and this is the story of Sokian. Uh, and Ruth Fuller Sasaki, who was our mother's mother, and the birth of Zen in America. And it's a very thoroughly researched book, but told in a a very easy to read story fashion. But it completely interweaves with our book because um, there's a lot of talk about Eleanor and Alan and their connection and... um, and Ruth's connection with Alan and, you know, through the years. And uh, so that's reflected in both books. And uh, there's a letter from Sokian to Alan in this book, Zen Odyssey. And um, so there's just this very delightful interweaving. And I think it's important for people to know about, Ruth was the first woman and the first Caucasian accepted into the Zen priesthood in Japan. Mm. And, um, and, and her journey is an amazing story. And she was a very serious Zen Buddhist scholar, and, um, and translated books from Chinese and Japanese into English. Uh, with the help of, among other people, Gary Snyder, (laughs) who was also a really close friend of Alan's. So, uh, you know, there's that connection as well. And uh, so Joan and I love um, telling people about that book because Mm. we think it's a really important story for people to know. And it's it's just an additional perspective. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We'll, uh, by the way, we're going to put all of this up on the uh, show notes on the podcast page, uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com right. slash MindRolling, and we'll put, a, 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 of course, the link to, to be able to get uh, the, your book, uh, The Letters of Alan Watts, and also this Zen Odyssey, and other books that Ra- Alan wrote himself, of course. We're going to put those up there as well. Just before we go, I, I do want to s- just ask you, what feelings have you, uh, what's happened to you in the course of doing this book that maybe gave you a, a little bit of uh, a shift in perspective about your father. Something, I mean, something happened to me. Of course, I I come from ground zero except for his, uh, his books. But still, there was a, a lot of illumination. So what happened to each of you in the course of putting this together and reading all these letters?
0: Well, I think it was, it was an amazing journey uh, for both my sister and I. Uh, I think we became closer uh, through the process of it because we understood a lot more of what was going on in our lives. Uh, You know, as a child, you, you see things and you think certain things and you carry those memories with you into adulthood and beyond. And it was kind of a verification of what we experienced. And, um, Hmm. uh, I think that was helpful to us in many ways, especially for me. Um, and, uh, uh, certainly a, a much better, well, it was a great time of reflection on, on, uh, my life and Alan's life and, um, how, uh, how I came to be the person I am and, um, uh it's also uh sort of morphing into something more interesting as I'm going on here now. Um I thought all I had to do was write a book and um now all of a sudden I'm on book tours and radio talks, shows, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's a whole different uh thing. I, I hadn't really anticipated that. So it's it's
2: interesting. It's an interesting journey.
1: Yeah, I bet. And?
2: I had some similar experience to Joan, especially the bonding between her and me um, was very special and continues to be. Um, And uh, I think um, another aspect of this I think for both of us is the appreciation of the scope of his brilliance in a way that I hadn't really ever grokked before and uh, through these letters, I was just struck again and again and again, uh, by the depth and the breadth of his, uh, knowledge and awareness. And, you know, he, he was voracious in terms of wanting to study everything and to understand how the mind works and all of that. He was just voracious in, in his study of all that. So, um, just and the and the appreciation also of how much he has affected so many millions of people worldwide um, as evidenced by the many Facebook um, fan pages for Alan, who have members from all over the world, and emails that Joan and I get from, from young people, very young people, like a 15-year-old from Denmark or a 26-year-old from Iran, we just heard from, who uh, discovered Alan. A friend had, a bo- had the book Psychotherapy East and West, and they can't even get Books by Alan Watts in Iran right now. And so uh, he heard a podcast interview uh, with us and was so excited by it. So, you know, those kinds of things. Um, it's really uh, very heartwarming.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I have to imagine that. Yeah. Um, I
0: think one of the in- interesting things towards almost the end of his life was I, th- I think it was in April of 1973 he brought together a group of people. He, he learned about a man by the name of G. Spencer Brown in England who was uh, involved in quantum physics. And he found that absolutely fascinating. And he brought him to this country to introduce him at a workshop uh, at Esalen that uh, Ramdas participated in as well as many others like John Lilly and Claudio Narano and a number of different people you would recognize. And uh, to me, that was absolutely fascinating. I, I always felt like, you know, hear, hear people talk about you're either right-brained or left-brained. I think this man operated off both sides of his brain without a doubt to be able to be artistic uh, and uh, write the way he did and yet uh, understand things uh, as complex as languages, Latin and, and um Greek and uh, quantum physics, even you know. I mean, w- what a what a brain! Yeah, what, what a brain, intellect. Yeah.
1: What right. a brain! Right. <laughs> and yet, through all of this, these incredible letters to everyone on the earth, family, friends, uh, notable people from Jung. When I don't know, he's in his 20s. He's writing Jung, Carl right. Jung. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Right. Then there's this letter towards the end of his life, a few years before he left, he went to a restaurant (laughs) with his wife, and uh, they wouldn't let him in. So he wrote a letter to them. But from your establishment, we were rudely excluded by an arrogant young man for the picadillo of wearing sandals over bare feet. Otherwise, we were elegantly, if informally, dressed. Now, your food has been consistently excellent but you are not the St. Francis Hotel. If you have an eye for the future, bear it in mind that you're operating in an an area where an increasing number of young people, your customers to be, are unwilling to dress like morticians. (laughs) And then further to that, why must we be obliged to come to your restaurant with our feet sweatily enclosed in wool and tight leather observing a mere ritual which however appropriate in the snows of chicago is unnecessary in california i really believe that a change in your policy is in order as well as an apology to a longtime customer okay i love that letter
0: i like to read that one too
1: yeah that is so great oh god well thank you ann and joan thank you so so much for being with us here at mind rolling on on uh and and I love all the connectivity. I'm going to have to uh query Ramdas a little bit further about uh his relationship with your dad. Mm. And uh share that with everybody. But uh yeah, good luck with the book going forward. Uh we're we're going to make sure everybody um knows that it exists and in fact we'll we'll get in touch with with you and your publisher and and I I want to put uh some excerpts if i can or a couple of these nuggets uh on ramdas.org so everybody Wonderful. can share them and I'll, I'll get in touch with them on that and uh again thank you thank you thank, thank you, you.
2: Uh, thank you so much it's been a pleasure
1: yeah this is mind rolling i'm ragu and we'll see you next time on the be here now network